0: KZSU Stanford. It's four o'clock. And that means we are live here on the Sports Zoo. My name is Jacob Nidig, your co host here on KZSU 90.1 FM, to be joined shortly by my co host, the one, the only Zach Zaffron. Welcome back, folks, to a lovely time of the year. Football season, we are back here on the farm. It's the middle of the quarter. It takes a little bit to get ramped up here, but we are locked and loaded for what is shaping up to potentially be the final quarter here with Zach and I at the helm of the sports zoo. As most of you know, this is my senior year. Zach's also getting up there in age, so passing it on down to some of the younger kids potentially after this quarter but that doesn't mean that we don't have a variety of weeks left here with each of you. And so, without further ado, let's go ahead and start talking. Stanford football, who just had a huge win against the Buffaloes, traveled to Colorado, overcame a 29 point deficit, and yet they're two and four on the year, facing off against a number seven, 13, 15, and 10 ranked team in the country. Zach, let's just go ahead and get it started over to you on what you've
1: made of this season so far as a whole. So far, um, when I think of the Stanford football team, you know, obviously you're going to have growing pains, first year head coach, first time in the power five, a lot of guys who weren't expecting to see playing time last year just because of all the turnover with the new coaching staff. Um, with the direction this program is headed. But the two system quarterback uh, changes that Troy Taylor has implemented really come to mind for me. And I'm not a fan of it. And I think that we saw in that second half with Ashton Daniels finally taking the reins, Taylor sticking to one guy. We saw the best half of Stanford football we have seen in a long, long time. I mean, I'm I'm talking maybe over a year. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And... For those of you that don't know, that maybe haven't tuned into as many Stanford games given, I mean, the time, the Pac-12 plays, but also the performance on the field, Coach Taylor has not opted for the traditional two-quarterback system where one quarterback gets a drive or a few drives or a quarter. They have switched out every other play on some drives. It's drive. crazy. And so, you know, have you seen any reason why they've stuck with that system so long and you know, are you a firm believer that Ashton Daniels should be getting all of the
1: snaps? Uh, I mean, you know, first of all, Justin Lamson and, and uh, Ashton Daniels, two phenomenal, not only players, but people, uh, epitomize what it means to be a Stanford student athlete. Um, but why? I think it's just because one guy is just not separated himself from the pack. But when you're this many games into the season, you know, what are we talking? Six games through the year? Um, you should have it figured out. I think early on it was Taylor going back and forth just because simply he hadn't figured out who the guy was but then you get into the issue of rhythm you know you're getting a lot of false start calls simply because the play caller person under center is different each and every time throws off the rhythm throws off the mojo quite frankly um but also each player has its different strengths you know i've i've primarily thought of ashton daniels as a really good runner in the past and um lamson has proved to be perhaps even the better rusher um on the flip side, you know, you have so many great weapons really coming to their own. Obviously, we would be um, remiss if we didn't mention Alex' all-time, all-time performance last week. Um, but you also got Speed and Bryce Farrell, obviously Ben Eurosek, someone who I think scheme has really held him back. And the guys have just not been able to deliver the ball to him. And so, again, it's been a matter of figuring out who it is. But when you're this late into the season, um, I think it's time to just stick it out, find one guy.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And... You know, a couple guys that I think many people expected to be better receiving the ball, Bryce Farrell and John Humphreys, neither one of them has really pushed themselves into the starting rotation. You've got people like Moody Rubin, Tiger Backmire, uh, respectively, each playing a lot. And, and so some of those guys, you know, you expected to see more. I honestly expected EJ Smith to get the ball. So much more than he has rushing the ball. What's, go, what's going on with that? I
1: mean, EJ Smith, quite frankly, I believe a... I don't know if genera- generational will be an overstatement, but you know, one of the best uh, running backs in recent memory. And that's a, that's a big statement, considering obviously you've had C-Mac, Toby Gerhardt, Bryce Love. And I think he's right up there with them, but we haven't seen him get the touches to allow himself to enter that conversation.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's averaging five handoffs a game... For a total of twenty nine point three three yards. So there's a lot of questions I think coming around, and I think another thing that's disappointing is, at least for me, after that Hawaii game, felt like we really welcomed our team to the 21st century. The offense was moving. Obviously, you go against USC; that's a tough showing. But losing to Sacramento State, that that is tough to jo- to digest.
1: How have you been thinking about that loss? You know, it's it's funny. Um, I was in the booth for that game, watching it, and everyone in the in the stadium, everyone on the sidelines, was just kind of like, "What just happened?" I mean, the the offense was flowing, continued the mojo of you know the Hawaii game. Literally, obviously, an interruption there at the USC game, the Coliseum. Um, made it all the way down to the red zone. Looked to go up. I think three scores in the first half, and it was a t- turnover so deep into Sacramento state's field that really ruined things. And I think that this is a team we have seen relies so heavily on momentum. I mean, scoring 29 unanswered or 26 unanswered, however many it was in Colorado, Um, strong start against Sacramento state. It's a team that can work with momentum, make it happen. But obviously on the flip side, they can get carried away. They can give up big runs, give up, you know, 29-0 29-0 against Colorado. Gave up however many unanswered against Sacramento State, which let that game get out of hand. They can't let these mistakes frustrate and rattle them, especially when they're so, so young. Yeah, and so then
0: after Sac State, that game against Arizona, to me, that those two games really show that this team and this program is still so far away. Both of those games I had us winning before, And I think the thing is not just that we lost them, but really how we lost them against Mm -hmm. Arizona. You know, not that is not solely on Joshua Cardi in no way. He's been one of the best players on this roster. But, you know, in a game where those three, six, nine points, the opportunities he has makes such a big difference that those two missed field goals hurt. But the fact that the offense is needing to kick so many field goals is also a huge question because he think he made two, missed two, four field goals in one
1: game is, is absolutely crazy. Yeah, I mean, like you said, one of the best players in this roster, and you're going to rely on him. Um, it's it, strange how much of an off year it has been. Um, and sure, maybe it is a different story if he makes some of those early field goals. But then again, maybe the situation of the game is different. Maybe different play calls are had. We, you know, too many question marks and... He's earned himself to get some slack Certainly joshua McCarty, the man Uh guy who put us over colorado guy who has consistently showed up and been rel- reliable um But yeah, just just a bummer, especially in such a tight contest Yeah, and so At that point in the
0: season, I feel like a lot of people Here were kind of wondering wow, did we even hire the right coach? We were one in three at the time Where was your head at at that at this point in the season? um
1: At that point, I had been to four straight Stanford football games, start to finish, probably the longest uh, streak in my life. (laughs) There are very
0: few students on this campus who can say that they uh, were at all four games from start
1: to finish. And so after that Oregon game, um, as what went through my head, me along with the other four people in the student section was, you know, what's going on here? What am I doing here? Um, So I didn't care to watch the start of the Colorado game. Friday night, Friday night. You know, shoot, I, I I'd rather be doing someone else. And yeah. then I hear we score twenty six unanswered, and I, I think, oh my gosh, wait a minute, turn that thing on. Um, you know, I was thinking this is just a, a throwaway year. I'll be happy if, uh, you know, we we beat Cal. Actually, I'll be I'll be very happy. It's not even like that's the expectation. Um, but now we're talking about maybe a real spark, maybe some opportunity for some unforeseen wins to happen. Yeah. No. Absolutely.
0: It feels like, you know, that second half against Colorado shows where we could be as a team. And I think that is really exciting because for the, you know, four or five weeks before that, there was no, I mean, not only were we losing, but there was no hope. Mm -hmm. The offensive line was getting destroyed by the opposing front sevens. Quarterback play was rough. People in skill positions didn't look good. Our defense gave up long plays, gave up sustained drives. It did not matter. And, that second half against Colorado kind of showed. Wow, maybe maybe there
1: is some reason for optimism. But Jacob, I, I hate to be the guy, um, but maybe we're asking the wrong questions. I, I maybe, you know I'd, I love the success. I've never been so pumped to watch a game like that. At least in in, in, in however long. Um, but what if it wasn't us? What if it was Colorado? What if Colorado is not the team everyone has made them out to be? Sure, it was close with USC, but we're forgetting they were down huge earlier in that game before, quite frankly, SC got complacent. We're forgetting this is a program that was 1-11 last year. Sure, they beat a TCU team in their first game. That was, that was a heck of a game, but... TCU's now 3-3, three and three too. Exactly. Next game, Nebraska? Come on. Nebraska's like the Knicks. When was the last time they were good? We're just associating memories of decades long ago with this program that, quite frankly... uh, might even lose to Stanford. Yeah,
0: you know, you know, I wish I could strongly disagree and say this is a high-quality season-altering win, but I, I think that there's a lot of hype being put into this win because of the way it happened, but it's kind of forgetting about Colorado brought in 43 transfers in the offseason. Coach Prime, for all the talk that he does, is bringing media attention to Boulder, but he's not bringing as many wins as people generally think they're one in three in conference play. So yeah, that that's a tough win. But the thing is, it still shows a lot about the team that we could be because heading into the season, I said, we can't judge our team based off of wins and losses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have to judge on, on the effort. We have to judge on our guys, understanding the scheme We have to, are we playing from start to finish regardless of score? And so in a lot of games, we haven't even seen that. The fact that they came out down 29-0 and gave up a fight, I think is definitely more important than the fact that they came back
1: and won. That that's what comes to mind for me when thinking about this Colorado game. We saw last year, we would get down big early and it'd get ugly because quite frankly, you know, I'm thinking of uh, Notre Dame, I'm thinking of. Uh, USC just a lot of games throughout the year where once that deficit was had uninspiring play just to put it bluntly nothing nothing happening for us even Utah gosh that was ugly but here we are down on the road on a Friday night 29 to0 national TV and these guys have the will to claw back I think that is absolutely. That should be the best thing that we take away from this game. Yeah, yeah, win is great, but no, this is a team, whether it's a product of Troy Taylor's locker room, whether it's a product of what culture has been instilled in this program, but there's fight, and and we love to see that. Yeah, I mean,
0: ideally would love to see that before you're down 29-0 at halftime, <laughs> which is another thing is how did we get down 29-0 to Colorado? And I think that's kind of the thing where you start judging wins and losses, and this team has a long... Long way to go Um, You know In my mind Has been a bit disappointing I actually was One of the few That thought there was A chance we slip Into a bowl game This year You know know That was was the upper uh, Bounds of optimism But uh, You know I I had us beating Hawaii, Sac State, Arizona Big game That's four wins And then you just need To sneak two Past the rest You need to go to Like two out of six Two out of seven Doesn't look like We're going to make it there yet As a whole, though, how does this season compare to your expectations? Where have we shined and where have we we kind of failed the mark thus far?
1: Yeah, um, I think I thought we would be better off. I certainly thought Sacramento State and Arizona would be wins. Um, I think to kind of look at it through a bigger lens, I thought this offense would be a lot more electric. and I think it's what the hybrid flex, some fancy language that Troy Taylor's uh, scheme brings to us. And I, we saw them the first play um, of the season at Hawaii going deep. I mean, we're doing things, taking chances, playing risky in a way that we have not in years. And I thought that would be a mainstay. But instead, we're continuing with these two yard quarterback rushes, designed rushes that are just a formula for three knots. I mean, Justin Lamson, is, shoot, is he our leading rusher? One of our leading rushers. Yeah. He's averaging two and a half yards per carry and he far outpaces any other Stanford rusher by more than 23 attempts this season yeah and I think the second is Ashton Daniels right there too what what is up with that I mean I think that uh Taylor has it in him and maybe it's an issue of personnel maybe you know it's not his guys entirely yet and he doesn't know who can really fit the role of what he's looking for um, but I thought we would be far more advanced in our scheme, and that's why we were getting shut down the first half. That's why we're coming out flat against USC, not even able to put up that many points against a historically terrible offense and Ar- defense in Arizona. Yeah, no, it. I think to me, I uh, you kind of took it right from
0: me. We're averaging twenty four points a game, twenty three point six exactly. That's like not, not what really I think we was advertised with Coach Taylor. We were advertised. Mm-hmm a new offense that's going to put up points. We're going to get into shootouts, but we're going to be putting up, you know, 35, 38, 42 points a game. It's going to have to be outscoring opponents. And, you know, you take that, the 48 or whatever against Colorado out and, and we have touched the thirties. What one time against Hawaii. Hawaii. Yeah. yeah. Which, I mean that that's speaks for itself, but it it's hard for me to understand. Is this a system thing? Is it a personnel thing? Where exactly is it going wrong? Because it seems like, skill position-wise, we have so many athletic guys. We have so many guys that could go into mm. other teams and other schemes and make a difference. Offensive line, I have a little bit more hesitations about that, but it still feels like we should be spreading the ball around in a
1: way that that we can score more than three touchdowns a game. I hate to sound like a broken record, but I do want to bring it back to the two-quarterback system we've seen. I mean, how much would you contribute these Shortcomings, offensive stagnation. To that, right? I mean, guys don't know who's going to be delivering the ball to them. Guys don't know who's going to be calling the plays or you know snapping the ball. Is that kind of what the issue is potentially here? Yeah,
0: you know, it. I think that affects both the quarterbacks and the the players that are around them because, yeah, instead of focusing on, or instead of it coming naturally, a lot of these players are focusing their energy on you know who's going to be throwing if you're a wide receiver your timing is going to be slightly different with each of those wide receivers if you're a running back they hand the ball off a little bit differently they throw the screen passes a little with a little bit different speed but then if you're the quarterback I mean how tough that must be to to be confident and to be a leader which is what you need to be at the signal calling position if you you know, you're getting pulled every other snap. You're worried if I make a bad throw, are they going to call a run play with with the with the other quarterback, you know? And so mm-hmm. I definitely think that is, is part of it. But I still, you know, I, I guess I don't think that that's all of it. I don't know where else it comes from, but it feels like there's still, even if you swap a quarterback out, should be able to put up more than, you know, six points against... Oregon more than 10 points against USC like we have enough explosive playmakers that we should be able to be completing balls down the field or free up one-on-one matchups that you know give Casey Filkins the opportunity in space to make one man miss and, and take it to the house
1: well uh, let's look at some of these weapons I mean obviously Alec Io Manor the, the guy the guy from last game but a ton of studs behind him Ben Urasek could have been the nation's best tight end. Obviously, perhaps a misfit here with scheme, usage, whatever it might be, an off year. Moutier Rubin, an early enrollee who I thought would make a huge leap. Tyler Bachmeyer, a guy who, quite frankly, has exceeded expectations and become reliable. Nonetheless, still growing pains. Seen him drop a couple that really hurt. Bryce Farrell, the fastest guy on the field every time he steps onto the gridiron. And John Humphreys, a guy that I thought would be maybe the go-to guy and has been Almost absent each and every time they step out. I mean, what is it that is working well with these guys? What is it that isn't? Who's been kind of your your MVP of this receiving core as well as uh, the biggest disappointment?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think Tiger Backmeyer is definitely someone that I was not on my radar at all. Freshman, six one, one ninety. You know, I think it's just the the look that Backmire brings to the wide receiver position. <laughs> Wearing number 24, he's got the long, flowy hair. It just is not what you traditionally would see out of that position, and he's brand new to the roster. He is someone that I think there's a lot of reason to be excited about. He's not really a deep threat, but he, he can run kind of those short to intermediate patterns very well, those crossing routes. He's got... 12 receptions, averaging twelve yards a catch, which which isn't great. No touchdowns. Um, and then I think, you know, Eurosek has been a really good target in a lot of ways. He's second on the team in catches with a touchdown. But I think, you know, some of the upperclassmen are the ones that I think are are kind of in the disappointing thing. And I don't know if it's as much as they're disappointing, as much as they're not even seeing the field to disappoint. Kind of the lack of of targets, the lack of routes being run is uh, more of the disappointment in my mind. In I'm thinking of Bryce Farrell. I'm thinking of John Humphreys, E.J. Smith, even Casey Philkins, who can line up in the slot and is a great third down uh, catch ball catching back. Has barely seen any any of these. I mean, these guys are like getting one one catch a game, two catches a
1: game. Totally, totally. I guess the the question mark is. Is it the scheme? Is it the play calling? I, I, I don't know. I mean, John Humphreys, I am glaring memory of him coming up clutch at the end of that Oregon game um, two years ago. Probably the best upset I've ever witnessed real time. Um, I think there were real aspirations for him this year. Of course, still time to get it back on track. Um, but I just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, uh,
0: John Humphreys was the person that we sent to uh – our media day. He was one of the two Pete, one of the two Cardinals that was sent to the media days. I know he was hurt um, and is going to be missing some time, but I guess that's something that you know you can't control. And still, even whenever he was on the field, feels like he wasn't being utilized exactly how you how you
1: want it. Right, right. So just a couple days away, um, homecoming, reunion weekend, alumni weekend, whatever you want to call it, UCLA coming to the farm. I am curious um, because this feels like the ultimate Stanford victory uh, that we just had against Colorado. A a bad team ruining a great storyline. We've seen it not just in football, uh, but we've seen it in basketball, soccer, baseball, I don't even care, whatever it is. Um, Is this an indicator of some sort of momentum or opportunity to Win this tough stretch of games because you look at UCLA, Washington, Washington State, and Oregon State, maybe a break with Cal and then number 10 Notre Dame. These are all ranked teams. These are all historically great programs. Um they just do not get a break, man. The Cardinal have already played all their winnable games, in my opinion. Um and it all starts next week, UCLA. What what do you see happening both next weekend and the grand scheme? Yeah, games? I mean, buckle up for a tough road, <laughs> Cardinal fans. It was number five toughest strength to schedule in the country.
0: Yeah, I mean, terrible. It the Pac-12 is disbanding and and it's the best football conference <laughs> oh. right now. But yeah, I think UCLA is kind of I think they are right around the top twenty five because I know a few games ago when Colorado was still ranked, there was a period where Stanford's eight of their last nine. Were ranked brutal, which is absolutely tough. The line against UCLA is currently seventeen points against Stanford, so you know, buckle in, folks. That's, (laughs) I mean, that's you're taking the three and a half point, three to six point uh, home field advantage that Vegas normally gives, and so they're they're still thinking that UCLA is a three touchdown team better than us, but at the same time, I mean, we have nothing to lose, right? Our players are two and four. They're playing. Their families will probably be in town. In my opinion, they should be playing extremely free football right now. They just got off of a huge win. No one expects them to win. They're playing at home in front of family. This This should be one of the loosest that they are playing the entire year. And yet, the problem I have with saying that Stanford could win this game is that even if we play our best and UCLA plays a B minus or a C plus game, we could, we could still lose. Like we're that far away from them. Talent wise. I do think Stanford covers. I even think that there's a chance where this gate's real interesting down the stretch. Um, but it's, it's hard to see a scenario where, where you can feel confident in Stanford heading into this
1: game. Feel the same way. I mean, UCLA four and two and those two losses, both against top 15 teams, both within two scores, both on the road. Um, obviously that 14-7 to 7 slugfest against Utah and then a 24-36 to 36 shootout with uh, Oregon State. Looking beyond UCLA, though, it just does not get better. You'd make that trip to the Washington uh, school after a home bout with the other Washington school, the Huskies, who... Some people have as the best team yeah, in all I of mean, college football. That, that
0: is going to be a tough game to watch if you are a fan of our defense <laughs> because Michael Penix Jr. Is, is licking his chops thinking about <laughs> that in a few weeks. I, I mean,
1: UCLA, Washington, Washington State, Oregon State, is there any opportunity here realistically? You know, I'm not talking, oh, it's a David versus Goliath. I'm not talking a, they pull it out of nowhere. I'm talking about, like, do we match up well against any of these guys? Is there... any hope
0: (laughs) not on paper (laughs) but there is a reason why you play every game (laughs) yeah now this our our roster is just (laughs) Yeah, they're overmatched in every Uh, aspect of the ball Uh, in the line of scrimmage that's something that we've lost in every game Um, skill position wise we our wide receivers and skill position are pretty athletic but we've been unable to figure out a way to kind of even that playing field. Quarterback-wise, we're facing off. I mean, the headliners are off. obviously Sam Hartman and Michael Penix Jr., two people that have Heisman aspirations and, and beyond to go play on Sundays. There's not a lot of reason on paper to be optimistic, but there is a reason to play the game. And so your hope has to be that you throw the papers out and something magical can happen. It's tough. It's been a tough life living this the last few weeks, but uh, yeah, that that's kind of I think what you what you have to hang your hat on is wishing and praying that something crazy can happen.
1: I'm worried our Stanford team is gonna get so lost just staring at Sam Hartman's beautiful hair. Yeah, know? I know. He, uh
0: I saw it today. He shaved the beard. He's last only so wow. Yeah, it took off about two and a half years of him. But you know, that's how closely the media is following this Notre Dame team. Is I've got multiple notifications about his his facial hair. <laughs> Whereas I don't think anyone is following Ashton Daniels, what he's doing, anything. They, these are people. This is a team in Notre Dame, in Washington. I mean, even in Oregon state and Washington state that national media is covering because they have aspirations to make either the playoffs or some of those new year six. Hey, um, Hey
1: Stanford, cheese it! national team of the week. Okay. We're good. We are getting our shining moment. Our however many seconds of fame right here. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 obviously a tough stretch. If we don't win any, you and I both talked about, okay, what does it mean? We didn't expect too much. What do you want to get out of this tough stretch? You know, this is yeah. a, a program at a point in time in which you're not playing. Obviously, you're playing to win, but you're, it's not the priority. You're trying to develop not only a a group of guys, but a culture, an identity, something that teams sorely lacked in the last few years, What do you hope to get out of these next few games from in the long term sense?
0: Yeah, I I think definitely some of that identity is going to be really important. I want to know kind of what is Coach Taylor trying to instill in these guys? Is he someone that, you know, on on fourth and three from midfield on the first drive, he's gonna go for it? Are we are we an aggressive we're trying to throw the first punch type of team? Is are we a team that, you know, rallies around third downs? Are we strong in the red zone? What Areas and values is he trying to instill Um, and I'm also looking for some of the individual leaders to really step up I think you know David Bailey by far I think our best defensive player Mm -hmm. up front but I still think has some room to grow in a lot of ways especially as a leader so I'm looking for I'm looking for some accountability within the individual members of the team for the overall performance I uh, you know it feels like whenever we've gotten blown out it hurts everyone, but there's no one that is like fired up about getting blown out. I want to see, you know, a few leaders from within and, Mm -hmm. and hopefully coach Taylor trying to instill some of those values. Um, I also, you know, I would like to see something out of the O line. Mm -hmm. I, I think, I don't, I feel like it's been so many years since we've had a O line that can block. And I don't expect this unit to suddenly learn how to block overnight. But it would be nice to see them communicate a little bit better to use these reps to grow for next season. So I think, I guess collectively, I want to see see kind of more of the leadership from the coach and from some of the star players on our team. And uh, I think the O-line is a unit that I'm really looking to use these games
1: as a way to improve for next year. Totally. As a uh, Troy Taylor probably in a crouched position right now, thinking the same thing. Yeah. Um, I, I have been vocal about my thoughts that this team will really come to fruition in, in year three. I think this year, Taylor getting the reins, figuring it out next year, continue growing pains, but you start to see that that semblance. And then you know, you've got great recruits coming in. You've got basically established culture in year three Coincides with uh, a a strong schedule. We know, or at least at least we've talked about in the past. uh, Odd year schedules, uh, for some reason, just tend to lend themselves to a better season. Uh, More home games while the school year is in session. Um, You know, a lot of those tougher programs that we historically face. Granted, things might be shaken up Um, once we start playing the ACC. I guess that's something I haven't considered. And something we have not uh, spoken about actually since our last episode. Yeah, I didn't even. It's kind of weird timing yeah. of how this all works out. Um, I guess I could I could transition to, um, ACC football. Jeez, I would say, and that that would be an entirely different animal. But I mean, Pac twelve having one heck of a year. What do you? What does uh, conference realignment for Stanford mean to you? Uh, starting with just in sense of football.
0: Yeah, I mean. For one thing, it's going to be way more difficult to travel as a, as a fan. Um, yeah. You know, I you got to do what you got to do. The money is that funds these programs, meaning football, but also the programs that are also super important that have a little bit harsher budgets come from those TV deals. So, mm-hmm. you know, completely understandable. Um, football-wise, though, it's interesting because there's a lot. To me, there's a bigger variety of schools in the ACC. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit more of a perceived pecking order. You know, Clemson, obviously not good this year, but they are the team in the ACC. Florida State, kind of for the first year in a while, also now the team. But those people, those two dogs in are the, the head of the pack. And then, you know, you've got some people below them, which I think which is where I envision Stanford slots in is kind of with Duke, North Carolina, um, kind of in that second tier where, you know, we're not expecting to make the college football playoffs, but anywhere in that eight to 10 range, eight to 10 win range is exactly where I see us. Um, and I think we should be able to beat up on a lot of the other schools, uh, you know, wake forest, Virginia, Virginia tech, Miami, uh, even Boston College I might put in in that group so I think there's I think there's like a very clear area where Stanford can slot in not the Stanford we know but the Stanford that I think we want to be
1: in in two or three years probably from a recruiting perspective um, does this help us does this hurt us I mean maybe you could you could argue you're on a bigger stage nationally um, but obviously the travel it's gotta be a hindrance I mean that is that is brutal what, what does it mean for the upcoming recruiting classes? Maybe as people yeah. are hesitant because they want to wait and see how it pans out. Yeah, I mean, I think that's recruiting as much as we could talk about conferences
0: is what well, matters more than anything is getting NIL running, which I feel like we it's kind of a, a dead horse that we continue to beat on here on the sports zoo. Um, but I think this gives us a lot of advantages in, in a few different ways. First, we're by far the the most academically rigorous school in the ACC. um, That's something that we can use to our advantage. Uh, We're going to be pulling some of those uh, more academically focused recruits away from UNC, away from Duke. Um, We're also, you know, one of two schools on the entire West. Well, I mean, really like West of, I don't even know what, (laughs) where, but we own us and Cal are the only schools on the West coast. So that's going to mean that we're competing with, still USC and UCLA, but we're no longer competing conference to conference with Mm -hmm. them, which I think gives us a little bit of an advantage. Um, And I think at the end of the day, Stanford is going to be in a position where if we win games, we can be back in the national media spotlight, which I don't think you can realistically say is possible in the PAC 12, given kind of PAC 12 network, given Mm -hmm. the media deals. So the fact that Stanford, if they win, be playing in primetime week in and week out is undoubtedly uh, a plus
1: totally totally i see that i see the national presence re-emerging um from a media standpoint I, I wonder like from a winning standpoint you know you and i both uh have seen those andrew luck um christian mccaffrey led teams being contention really in the polls um at one point contention for the playoffs are we ever going to see that at least in the next generation that is yeah.
0: <laughs> you know folks normally i would consider myself an optimistic fan a lot of oh, people no. call me a homer but oh, the no. state of stanford football is putting a, a dark cloud over <laughs> that i think right now that this program until we get you know probably four to to six recruiting cycles away is, is capped out in my mind like in the 7 to 8 win range mm-hmm. which i think is still Two to three wins away from that that peak of Stanford football, mm-hmm. I think we're talking about not just two or three good cycles of recruiting, but we need two or three cycles of good recruiting, two or three cycles of winning, and then the next wave of recruits would potentially. So I think we're looking in in best case, you know, maybe five to eight years down the line, and even yeah. then, it it would take. It would be a com- very drastic turn <laughs> kind of events. So, uh, well. I uh, I wouldn't wouldn't hold out too much hope. But I mean, college football is changing. We'll be in a new conference. We got a new head coach. Hope I mean, there's reason to be. If there was something, if the culture was going to change back in that direction, it would be in a new conference with a new head coach, which is what we're we're going to be moving towards. So,
1: Finger, fingers crossed.
0: Yeah. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And so you know you mentioned year three is the year you think we turn it around what are I mean how can this season be a success and then what would success be in year three like how much leeway should Cardinal fans give Coach Taylor with this roster versus his roster and and kind of juggling you know remaining optimistic but Grading fairly, how how can
1: Cardinal fans go
0: about trying to do that?
1: Well, I'll start off with saying any sort of discussion about this guy being in the hot seat, get this guy out of there. Let's put let's put those to an end. Okay, it's year one. Even uh, post, <laughs> you can lose the Sacramento State. Yeah, uh, not on the hot seat. It's year one. Okay, maybe okay. the Sacramento State loss is a testament to how great of a coach, <laughs> yeah. Coach Taylor, is. You know, You
0: built too good of a program he over did. there.
1: Um, but. You know, unless there's some sort of dispute, uh, I think that he's the guy. Even you know, players on the team will vouch for how great of a coach and person he is. But even the guys that I've talked to who um, quit, you know, once Shaw left, who decided, hey, it's not for me, ready to move on. Even those guys who didn't want to be around him or coached by him speak volumes about his character, about his ability. So I think that he is—he's the right guy. In terms of uh, what is a success for this season, just continue to have that fight. I don't care if you go down 29-0. Just continue to play like it's 0-0. Zero to zero. I don't care if you lose to four straight ranked opponents. Show up the next game in your rival game against Cal and don't look like you're flat-footed. Um, I would like to see some more schematics go into things. You know, it sometimes does seem like we're running around there with our head cut off. Um I'd also like to see just an identity form and that it might be a multi-year process, but hopefully we see some semblance of it beginning this year. Now come year three, but bowl games should be the expectation at the bare minimum. We should be having the discussion year three about not just, are we going to make a bowl, but which bowl game are we? And hopefully not some brand you've never heard of, but <laughs> hopefully a Fortune 500 company is the one sponsoring that (laughs) bowl game, okay? Yeah.
0: No, absolutely. So, you're saying a six-floor, six-win floor, floor. what about that, not just the floor, but an expectation, maybe. Mm. Not not the ceiling either, Mm. but kind of, you know, that middle ground, are we thinking, you know, eight, nine, are we hitting double digits? Where is that kind of level where we can, Cardinal fans can comfortably say we lost 4, we won 8 that's right where we want to be
1: at. I, I think 8 might even be a, might be a stretch it really I guess it depends on how we acclimate really to uh, the ACC, I mean looking at these teams, right um, Florida State um, Clemson UNC and Duke two teams I don't think I um, are teams to ignore? I think that they're actually on the rise. I see us as kind of beneath all of those with opportunity to work our way up the ranks. Um, in that middle ground, try and be in the upper middle tier. You look at some of these teams and where they finish, like a Syracuse, um, Georgia Tech, Pittsburgh. These are teams that are really sitting in that seven to nine range. I think seven should be the. I, I my guess would be seven and a half wins. You know, would kind of be where the 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 line is yeah i would love to see 8 um 7 should 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 be the expectation i guess
0: yeah no absolutely uh correct me if i'm wrong but i'm seeing we have hawaii and san jose as our two non conference games in 2025 sounds right which i mean really no reason why i mean even this team there's no reason why you should be mm-hmm. losing to either of those teams so
1: i <laughs> would well, be surprised <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah i mean we did pay sacramento state what six hundred and fifty thousand dollars to come in here. Is that and, right? Yeah. Oh man. To uh, to come make the trek and uh beat us in our own house. So um okay, so I guess I think it's that time of the show where we need to get a little score prediction in oh, for the oh. upcoming game. I mentioned it line against UCLA currently at seventeen. UCLA's four and two in the year. We're two and four. It's reunion homecoming seven thirty PM which is Pac-12 after dark, I believe. Yeah, it'll be on ESPN. What do you,
1: what do you got score wise? You know, looking at UCLA, um, not the offensive juggernaut that they have been in the past, not led by DTR, you know, in his 20 years that he was at UCLA, um, their wins against coastal Carolina and San Diego state, probably the comparable programs to Stanford. They didn't top 35 points. Um, I'm thinking UCLA is probably sitting around 31 points. However, this defense is stifling held number 14 Utah to 14 points. Um, Oregon state led by DJ scored 36, but you know, that is a top arguably 10 program at this point of the year. I I would love Stanford to crack 17, but realistically I'm going 31 to 13 favor UCLA. Okay. And, uh, I think I had a
0: pretty similar score right there. I had a, a little bit higher scoring though. I had thirty eight seventeen. I so, see that. I see that. Yeah, I think we're kind of in a similar area though, where UCLA's somewhere in the thirties. We're in the we're in the teens. Yeah. Um, yeah. If this game goes Stanford's way, how does that happen? Is it a shootout? Is it a low scoring game? What needs to
1: happen for Stanford to be in this game and pull up the the upset? Um, I think continue offensive momentum is key. Defensively, we've shown flashes of being great. Again, it's it's, it's a momentum-based thing. When teams go on runs, we tend to just kind of not adjust and not be able to stop them. But I think we have the capability. Um, defensively, just continue to do what you're doing, stick to the game plan. But offensively, oh my God, get the ball to Ellick. Okay? Keep Ashton in there. You use the run game, you know, keep the defense guessing. I think like we've talked about, and not just UCLA specifically, but for the year as a whole, um, this team is full of weapons. It's time we start using them, start utilizing them. I'd like to see us stretch the field, throw in some RPOs, especially like, you know, if you have that quarterback mobility, might as well keep the defense guessing rather than those designed quarterback runs. Um, You know, I, I think this is a prime opportunity to get the Troy Taylor we were promised the Troy Taylor uh, offense, as advertised, is a stepping stone. And I'm ready to see it happen.
0: Yeah, I uh, couldn't agree more. I think another thing, whenever we win, it we've had four or more sacks. We had six against Hawaii, four against Colorado. Really looking for that front four and then the three, or the front seven, I should say, to uh, you know, kind of disrupt some of the timing. Mm-hmm. I think it, it's a tough expectation for them to... Realistically, stop UCLA that frequently, but I think we, we've. UCLA has given up currently, I think, 19 sacks on the year. So that's, you know, right around, that's over three per. Oh, wait, no, that, you know, what, I don't know how many st- sacks they've given up, but if Stanford can get to the quarterback a couple of times, I think that lends itself to, to a closer game than maybe what we were projecting.
1: Totally. Get him under pressure. I mean, Dante Moore. Like no disrespect, but I mean he's he's not the same caliber as the Caleb Williams we faced, even not the same caliber as Shador. Um ten touchdowns to seven interceptions. If we can force turnovers and limit them ourselves, I think that is also a prime opportunity.
0: I'm feeling good. I might need to change yeah. my score. Oh. Oh no, but should be, you know, an interesting game nonetheless. UCLA's defense, yeah, really good. Turns out they've given up what I'm seeing right now is 20 sacks, oh through, God. through uh, six games, which that that's quite a lot. That's averaging three a game, which is is tough to. Uh, that's really bad,
1: actually. <laughs> it, it's homecoming weekend. I am ready um, for our defensive line to have their homecoming.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a party in the backfield. We'll see what <laughs> happens. We will see what happens. Next up, though, kind of another fall sport here: Stanford women's volleyball. This is a team that last year was upset before they could make it into the final four against, I believe, that was San Diego last year. Seems sounds right. Yeah. Um, returning: Kendall Kip, Katie Baird, uh, Sammy Francis, to name a few. Zach, what's kind of been the story of the year right now? If you could just give a brief overview of, you know. What has kind of gone on over in Maples with
1: this team? I think continuing to take care of business. I mean, uh, return so many of those stars, you know, McKenna, um, Kendall Kipp, um, Camille Minor, so many talented players who have been through this before, been through a successful season and know that that doesn't guarantee anything in the playoffs. And so now they're going ahead beaten ranked opponents. You know, they still do have those two losses against number 8 Florida and number 4 Nebraska, but shown the ability to rebound after each loss came a ranked victory first against number 7 Texas and number 2 Louisville, both away games. A team that is not afraid to uh face adversity and deal with it, not going to run away from it. I think it's about keeping in mind that yes every game matters but let's keep our eyes on the prize you know let's let's go ahead and not win ourselves a good regular season let's go ahead and win ourselves a championship
0: yeah and it feels like this team is doing kind of is has that eye beyond the regular season that it feels like we've talked about with this team we've talked about with women's basketball the regular season is solely a tune-up just for the postseason and so they've had you know some tough matchups that they've lost but they also have a variety of wins against ranked opponents. You mentioned win against Texas in 3 sets, win against number 15 Ohio State in 3, number 10 Minnesota in 10, and a win against Louisville in 5. They did drop the game to Nebraska and to Florida. So they kind of have a mixed record against top 10, top 15, top 25 ranked teams. Is this a team that could make a run all the
1: way? I don't want to get my hopes up. I don't. I feel like we're in the same position year in and year out, you know? I mean, it, it is a great program. It is, but again, you're you're playing for uh what's to come in the end and uh I I'm, I'm I'll put it bluntly, I'm scared. You've got Wisconsin and Nebraska. Um Wisconsin has been a powerhouse for the last few years and Nebraska, I mean, the support that they have is unreal. I think they set that record um, yeah, for attendance.
0: Was, yeah, played the game in the football stadium. Yeah. Crazy. That was great for the sport of
1: volleyball and fun to see. You love to see it. Um, maybe not as a Stanford fan, though, right? So I think Stanford is capable and will hold their own, but there are some real tough opponents out there, and your best-case scenario is they got knocked, knocked out by someone else. They knock out each other on the other side of the bracket. That's the best pass to victory.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Wisconsin and Nebraska, two teams that, number one and number two, Wisconsin pretty clearly a favorite. They got 59 of the 64 first place AP votes in this most recent, in the AVCA ranking votes, excuse me. Um, Stanford, though, you know, you look at this, the only other team that's kind of even near is Washington State, who Stanford plays relatively soon um, in about you know a handful of of matches down the road they just beat them two matches ago 3-1 and then they have number 8 Oregon but is the Pac-12 battle testing this team enough in combination with some of those pre-conference play games or is this team coming will this team head into the postseason you know relatively unsure of itself nationally uh, given kind of the lack of competition in the Pac-12.
1: Yeah, I will say, I mean, look, Pac-12, good volleyball program, you got Washington State right there at number four, Oregon at number eight, but geez, it really drops off with no other ranked ranked teams in the conference, and sure, like I said, reputable programs, but when you're vying for a national championship, you need to be on your A game, doesn't matter who you're playing and just inevitably, you're going to play down your competition sometimes. Whereas Big Ten consistently has been the best conference for women's volleyball um, across the board. And when you're going against Wisconsin and Nebraska, teams who play the other best teams and stay sharp, it's a it's a tough pill to swallow. Um, it, I, I will say, I think it is a bit of a disadvantage.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, this team so many people on it that have so much history at Stanford and have so many games in those jerseys. I think an important thing is just staying healthy. Mm -hmm. I mean, we saw Sammy Francis go down last year. I think she was underwent a small surgery in the off season. Uh, Kendall Kipp, someone that has missed time historically. Uh, She was walking around in a boot on campus whenever I saw her most recently. So keeping some of those people healthy, some of those leaders, um, is going to be really
1: important for this team. Hundred percent. I guess while we're on the topic, in the in the grand scheme, season long, early predictions. Do we have a call? Yeah, you know, I I think this team. I don't think
0: this team is quite um, as favored mm-hmm. as you know the teams have been in historic mm-hmm. years. I think they're still number three, but it feels like after last season's team, people haven't necessarily given them the respect, which I think this team knows and has a little bit adopted. It it feels like they're playing for a bigger passion. Um, And I kind of said this last year, once you get to that elite eight round and then in the final four, anything can happen. I would be surprised if this team had another early round exit. Um, I think making the Final Four is definitely within the expectations of this team, given their experience, their talent, and especially if they can stay healthy. Um, and once you get in there, it it's really anyone's game. Um, I I don't know if this team has as, as much depth as I would like, and doesn't necessarily have even Kendall Kip. I think when she faces some of those, you know, Big Ten middle blockers. Could struggle in which case, who's going to step up behind her? Um, we don't have that second stud that maybe some of the other programs have. We have a, bun- a lot of really strong players, Elia Rubin, uh, Katie Baird, but to me, they're just not quite on the level that you would necessarily hope. So unless they get on a hot streak, I think uh, it, it could be challenging against mm-hmm. some of those other opponents. But that's all to say,
1: I think a deep run is very much within the – Expectation of this program. Totally. No, I hear you. Um, I, I feel like everyone kind of compares uh, the current year to that 2017, which was seven, 2017 team, which was so magical. Um, I'm hearing a deep run is viable. Final Four, certainly within expectations. Um, but, Jacob, got to put the mortgage on it, sell the car, throw it on that. What, how far are they getting? What is a deep run?
0: You know, I. Uh, I think I would say final four round. I think we uh, make it to the final four, lose there. Um, Ideally, I think we'll have home field or I guess home court advantage uh, so that they could play in Maples all the way up until that final four point, uh, in which case then you're traveling to Nebraska, um, which is right in the middle of Big Ten territory. Wisconsin has really owned the arena where they play. Nebraska could see that, could be down there. Um, And I think that it would be especially tough not just because those teams are equally if not more talented than stanford but because whenever you get into a, an arena with you're going from playing at 10,000 at maples to you know 30,000 fans mm-hmm. yelling in your face it's a completely <laughs> different atmosphere totally
1: i i i guess ladies and gentlemen this is what happens when you uh, host a radio show together but a little bit of telepathy happening here i also think final 4 <laughs> is uh, going to be the final destination you got players like Kendall Kipp, Katie Baird, McKenna Vincini, Elena Oglivley all in their final year. Um, and then Cammie Miner and Sammy Francis, both in that upperclassman phase now. I think they have the experience that they need, and I think they're going to make it very far. Um, I, 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 I hesitate to say I expect a Final Four, but I, I'd love to see that and, quite frankly, do see it happening. Um, obviously, that final step is just tough, especially with the, the competition out on the field this year in particular. Um but we, we wish the Cardinal the best. I mean, that 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 that's the bottom line for sure.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I think whenever we're, we're critical of the volleyball team, it's like in a completely different way than the football team. <laughs> Let it be clear that this is one of the best programs in the country. The football is one of the worst programs in the country. So, uh, yeah, I uh, I know we both root for them equally as hard and, and hold them in equally high uh, esteem. And that'll definitely be a team that, I think we'll be we'll be keeping a very close eye on, especially as the regular season kind of wounds down in the end of November around Thanksgiving. It's around that Thanksgiving break mark uh, is when postseason play starts. So we'll definitely be keeping a close
1: eye on them. Yeah, I know. I uh, I don't know about you, but I, I can't dig or bump or spike however they will. But on the football team, I mean, if, if you guys you know make it out to I am Johnson Field, you can see a show with Jacob Nye on our I am Flag football team. Yeah, put us on the football team. What yeah, I mean, it, a- it
0: feels like some of the guys on the football team are uh, smaller than uh, Zach's. Oh, over oh. here. Zach's been in the weight room this off and yeah, he's he's been drawing up the plays. Uh, <laughs> I've suffered a small wrist injury, so we'll be back, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we'll be back. Yeah. Um. So now, I mean, we've got so many other sports to talk about, but it feels like you know, in the magic of postseason baseball it's, it's kind of hard to touch on NFL is you know it's the regular season I'm excited for basketball season already but let's talk some postseason baseball playoffs Are we talk uh, about playoffs yeah. <laughs> Rangers Astros first time and I don't know how long that that we've <laughs> seen this and yet the Astros seven years in a row making it to this round Oh, down and 2 to the Rangers.
1: What's been going on? Um well, y- you and I along with the rest of America is rooting for the Rangers <laughs> right here. Uh remind me, remind me, you're from Texas. I'm Who from is? I'm from Austin. Okay. Uh, not Houston. No, yeah, not but, Houston. But But
0: <laughs> I I uh oh. root for a Texas team, okay. so I okay. I my team is the Red Sox. Oh. Uh,
1: whenever the the, Bo- he's 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 wearing a, a Boston Celtics <laughs> uh, shirt right now. So yeah,
0: the, good year for the Celtics upcoming I'll just stay tuned um but yeah it's it would be more fun for the league if the Rangers made it to the World Series I will definitely say that
1: totally I mean and they haven't lost all postseason I I think it is an exciting team I, I think postseason people have had their criticisms in the new playoff format you know saying the best teams aren't winning just the hottest teams but hey what, what's so bad about that I I think on the other side you know it, it, it it's pretty obvious the Phillies are also very very hot a Rangers Phillies World Series matchup would be so so exciting just two of the best teams playing at their peaks I'd love to see it I'm rooting for it and quite frankly I see it happening
0: yeah no absolutely and there was a period I think during the uh you know heyday of Ranger baseball what probably 10 years ago when they were playing they played the Phillies in the World Series uh and so that would be a chance, you know, for the Rangers to potentially get revenge. Although, you know, I feel like we're kind of putting our eggs in the basket before they've been yeah, hatched. Yeah. Well, I, guess. I don't even know what the saying is. <laughs> count,
1: count your chicken. Yeah count, count, yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: count the eggs before the, yeah. <laughs> are what are the Astros done? Is it signed, sealed, delivered? Where Where do you see the rest of these two series go? Right now, we've got Rangers with
1: a 2-0 lead and the Phillies with a 2-0 lead. Look, man, I, I do see the Astros clawing back. What I will say is those those two home games, putting the other way, that's tough. Obviously, it's Texas-Texas, so it's not the end of the world. But it, yeah, I, I I sadly, sadly, I see the Astros putting up a fight. Ultimately, I could see the Rangers in 6 or 7. Um, as for the Phillies, man, I'm surprised the Diamondbacks are even here. Give me the Phillies in 4 or 5. Um, perhaps outrageous takes, but while we're on the topic, World Series, give me Bryce Harper and the Phillies <laughs> in six. In six. Okay.
0: Yeah, oh, no, that's... Oh, yeah. I, uh, I like that. I think... I mean... Max Scherzer on the mound is going to... I mean, that's a huge energizer mm-hmm. for the Rangers. Mad Max, someone who... You know, I think they thought would play a much bigger role in the season whenever they signed him. But on the other side, for the Astros, you've also got a pitcher who has done really well, Christian Javier, who has been very dominant throughout history, comes in. You know, there's something about him in that number 53 that is just, (laughs) it it throws me off. And it works for him, right? Like, he's 10-5 and on the year. 159 Ks to 62 walks, un, sub five ERA, which I mean that's not a great metric anyway. But I think this is going to be a fun matchup, and I think that I think we'll it'll be
1: a it will go all seven in that series. Okay, okay. Well, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen, in our first time back in the studio in far too long. It's the Sports Zoo. What are we season? three four now it, it's been a lot of them could be the last one so make sure you <laughs> listen in while you still can well you've been listening to kzsu stanford 90.1 fm my name is zach zaffron joined by my co-host jacob Neidig. Why don't you go ahead and sign us off signature style oh yeah wear red stay late go card